Welcome back, listeners, to a new episode of The New Standard. And back with us, and awesome to have back my partner in crime, to my left, Neil Kulong. What's up, Neil? I am just preparing for the busy holiday slash family birthday weekend on my end in uh, the new palatial estate. Our temporary house is no more. We are in our permanent house now. And I'm excited to be here, though it's um, top to bottom, Lance. Um, here's some advice to everybody at home. Do not move, okay? Never move. <laughs> Stay where you are for as long as you can. If you do, do not use movers. I will not get into that now. If you would like to hit me up off list, I'll tell you all about it. But it's been an absolute nightmare. So thank you for the distraction. Thank you for the break. Let's talk Steelers draft. Before we jump into that, I'd like to thank your, your, you know, your wife. Happy birthday. Also, I want to say happy Easter and happy Passover to everyone out there as well. And as always, if you want to participate in the show, you know how to do it. You can go to YouTube, do a search for The New Standard and Lance Williams or Neil Kulong. Or you can go to a podcast feeder. You can go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and do a search for The New Standard, Steelers and Lance Williams or Neil Kulong. Also want to give a big shout out to show sponsor, Great Dads versus Everybody. Welcome back, Neil. And um, before we jump into the show, want to send my condolences, and I'm sure yours as well, and the show's condolences to the family of, of course, Dwayne Haskins. Um, you know, God rest his soul. And hopefully, you know, hopefully his family can get some peace and, and get some peace soon. And hopefully everybody in Steeler Nation as well. So with that being said, Neil, uh, let me just ask you a quick true or false before we jump into the program. And the title of this week's program is The New Standard, Lifting the Veil on the Steelers Draft Process. And I hate to take it to football when it comes to the passing of a young man who was only 24 years of age. But true or false, with the passing of Dwayne Haskins and the signing of Josh Dobbs to the Cleveland Browns, will the Steelers draft a quarterback in this year's NFL draft? Um, I Simple answer, yes. And I, I'd like to take a minute to echo your sentiment as well. It, it does suck to have to uh, dive into talking business uh, so recently after a, a, a terrible tragedy. Um, I think our first show was largely centered around the idea of Dwayne Haskins uh, getting the opportunity to be in the position to start for this team this season. Um, that wasn't likely to, to take place, but certainly that's not the headline story here. It, it's um, I think what hit me more than anything, Lance, is the fact he, he turns 25 in April. And I'm still speaking of him in present tense. His 25th birthday would have been in April. He's 25 years old. The older that I get in this business, the more that I have to remind myself just how young these guys are. I mean, Dwayne Haskins has been in the public spotlight for a while now. It, it's sometimes hard to remember um, just how young they are uh, when you, they're going through what they're going through as professional athletes. And I, I sincerely hope and pray his, his family uh, can, can get through a terrible time. But as far as the Steelers go, I don't think it was a bad bet to suggest they were going to draft a quarterback before this. I, I certainly think they're going to now. Um, the question has been, uh, where is that going to be? I think it's a year in which they can get uh, a quarterback in the first round. It's generally thought to be a guy uh, to, to be taken in the first round. In other words, I don't think this is a – we took Mason Rudolph in the third because we had a first-round grade on him, and that's why we passed on him twice uh, I, I don't think it's that type of situation. I don't think there's going to need to be uh, any real ex explanation as to why they would do it this year. I think they have the means, the motive, and the opportunity to do so. And the, the name I hear the most often now is uh, Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter. And I think he's a player that fits um, kind of the Mike Tomlin checkbox. He's, he's got it upstairs. He's a strong mental player. He's disciplined, um, very intelligent. His physical tools are kind of hit and miss. They're not the greatest of this draft, but he's good enough, I think, to, to be a, a decent NFL quarterback. And I think a player that 
um, would would do well. He doesn't have to start this season. I think you're you're going to get him at his best when you give him some time to to really learn and develop. Um, they could have a a, a very good player. Uh, this time next year, if they were to draft Ritter now. And I'll also, as we know, they, they've uh, had cups of coffee with Matt Coral, uh, with Sam Howell, those two players that they watched uh, quite a bit during the season. If we're to, to go off of reports of, of sightings of Kevin Colbert at their games, both the, all three of them have visited uh, with the Steelers during this draft season. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if that's kind of the way that they're leaning. Um, and it wouldn't bother me either. I, I think that's the right move. For a team now that, you know, it, it's it's an unfortunate reality, but they're down a quarterback that they plan to have in camp. And I, I think that said, um, you really couldn't suggest through any move that they have made, uh, one two-year contract, two one-year contracts, no move that they've made to this point suggested they knew who their quarterback was going to be in 2023. And I think that uh, some of that is due to the fact that they have the opportunity to draft that player um, in this draft. I, I don't think anybody drafted beyond the, um, the three that I mentioned as well as Malik Willis and Pitts Kenny Pickett are players that you could consider to be serious uh, future starters for them. But I think all five, uh, three of those five will be available to them at, with the 20, 20th overall pick. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the direction that they go. But at the same time, I don't think that they've ever been off of that path. I think they've been looking at it, and they're, they're going to see uh, if one of the, the likely three who are going to be there at, at 20 uh, are worth for them to, to invest you know, five years and a lot of publicity into. I, I really think a guy like Ritter uh, fits that bill for him. It wouldn't surprise me if he's their guy, Lance. Well, that's a lot about the draft. And since you've taken it that path, let's just go into some of the topics that I've laid out here. And just very simply, as we navigate through lifting the veil on the Steelers drafting process. And when we say lifting the veil, bear in mind, this is with somewhat of a lens and we're taking our best guess here. But just simply define for the listeners, very simply, What's a draft board? You hear this over and over and over about what's a draft board and more so how do the Steelers create their draft board? And last year we did a lot of discussion on a show last year about the draft, about the Steelers and draft buckets and tiers. So quickly break down what's a draft board, how the Steelers construct theirs and explain what we talked about last year on a similar show when you talked about draft buckets and tiers of players? A, a draft board is exactly that. It, it's it's something that is laid out more. Um, it, it's probably a bit shorter than people would think that it is, but essentially it's a breakdown of the players that they are interested in drafting uh, based on the rounds or buckets that they see them in. Uh, if you take let, let's because his name came up, let's just use him. Uh, Desmond Ritter is a player that they're interested in. Let's just say for argument's sake, they evaluate him and based on uh, the team's uh, organizational philosophy, they'll they'll draw up definitions on what a player at every position in each round would look like. That's what the scouts are going after. The scouts are not just giving their, godlike wisdom on on what they see on the field um it it's not that critical of a task at that level it's up to the general manager ultimately to determine what the philosophy is and the easiest way to do that from an organizational perspective is to come up with definitions so what does it look like a first round quarterback will look like this for us not for the league okay you don't draft for the league you draft for a team our team defines it as this. He looks like this. He looks like this. When I, of course, I apologize. When I say looks, I mean he's this tall. He throws like this. He's played in this kind of an offense. He came from this kind of a school. Characteristics of a player, traits of a player. Uh, if he fits all of those things in a round, in, for what they've defined for that position for round one, he goes in the round one bucket. Let's just say Desmond Ritter is in the round one bucket for them. The Steelers will look at that, say that they've got I don't know, three players at that position in that round. They'll look at the ones that they have, a, a, you know, a likelihood of getting, because I'm sure, you know, the top player would merit something close to a first round grade for them. Not always, but for the most part, that's what's going to happen. 
they assemble a board like that based on positions, based on round. And from there, what they're pairing it down to is positions that they have chosen to emphasize for the coming future and for this draft. So this is not a spur of the moment type of, of decision the way it's made out to be very often in social media and uh, anything at all like your fantasy football draft. They have a decent sense of who's going to be available, but they are not picking from a, a one to 300 um, player list that's straight down with no defining characteristics of, of any kind. You, you couldn't make a good decision like that. They, have, they pair down who they're looking at, who they're talking to based on the information that they're getting and based on the philosophy that they have for their team, for the, the immediate and the near future, as well as um, the, the, the commitments that they have at other positions. They're, they're targeting certain spots. That's really what it comes down to. And they want to know what players are worth what and what rounds. So you have it broken up. It, it's going to look more horizontal than it will vertical, if that makes sense. They, they've got them all listed out in two buckets, round one, um, in between round one and round two, which is often something that you would use uh, to define a player who doesn't quite fit a first round pick but he's going to be better than a second round pick. Um, it, what this process will do is come up, generally speaking, this is just what I've heard, teams tend to not have more than maybe 23 or 24 on the high end uh, first round grades. So if all, let's just say all 23 of those guys are drafted, how do you determine uh, who to take at 24? You have a secondary bucket uh, that's close to the first round, higher than the second round. I've heard this called the the 1A bucket. I've heard it called the the 1 plus bucket. The idea is it's not quite a first round grade, but it's close to that. So maybe there's one or two things missing that they would normally say as a first round pick. You you take a player off of that. There is no top of the list, okay? They they put together three or four from the positions that they want who fit the criteria for the pick that they're in and they decide based on that. So you whittle it all down to a decision of maybe three guys uh, while you're on the clock. It makes a decision far easier to make, and all Absolute, of the hard work absolutely. has been taken out of it. This is it's computer science 101 if you really want to get into that. That's, that's what organizational psychology is. So that's, generally speaking, what I have heard. I don't know this today because I know the Steelers have shifted on this philosophy a bunch like any good team would. Um, top to bottom, they're going to make that decision based on the information that they've already gathered, not who's been taken, not who's still available, just simply these are the guys that we have targeted. These are the guys that we have put the work into. These are the guys that we know and that we're comfortable with making a multi-million dollar investment into. It's not your fantasy draft. You don't just grab this guy because he's falling or whatever. It all depends on how you've scouted them to that point. Let me ask you a follow-up. One, and you talked about player definition, traits, and characteristics, and, and what an organization, namely the Steelers, are emphasizing with a particular player. Little Birdie has told me that possibly Doug Whaley is that guy that may help chime in on making that decision and defining the characteristics of a player. Whose opinion weighs more in terms of defining these player traits and characteristics that are ideal for the Steelers? Is it the GM? Is it the head coach? Is it scouts? Is it whose opinion weighs more? And, and how is that all of that information tallied? That's my I first think, follow. I think it's fair to say without being able to answer that specifically, I don't think that anybody is, is able to give you a definitive 100% answer on it. Um, when it gets down to a difficult decision, They've often referred to kind of the, the trifecta of Kevin Colbert, Art Rooney, and Mike Tomlin. I think they sort of battle it out. I would imagine Col if Colbert and Tomlin disagree on something to the point where they can't find consensus, Rooney is probably there to break the tie. Just that that's the sense that I get. Um, the idea with this whole process, though, Lance, is, and you, you're a guy with a computer science background, you, you understand how this works. You want to come up with consensus opinion. That's the whole point of this. It's not one guy at the top making every decision. You couldn't possibly do that in an effective way um, with the amount of information that's available and for the amount of money that's going into this, the amount of, of um, uh, pressure that goes into each of these picks. 
it's stupid to think that one person could just make that for for your team. What, what are most of those people doing then? They have to generate the information so somebody can make a simple decision. Um, to answer your question specifically, it, we'll never know the real answer to that. But logically, I think it makes perfect sense to, to think there's a point where they disagree to take player A or player B. And somehow or other, they come to a consensus of that uh, and make the, make the choice. I'm willing to bet that there have been players that Colbert insisted on taking, that Tomlin has kind of, you know, relented on, um, and players that Tomlin wanted that Colbert you know, had to be talked into. And I bet there are players that were taken and not taken that one wanted and the other one didn't. Naturally, it, it's, it's going to come up. But this process builds consensus more than anything else. I would imagine they're on the same page, top to bottom, with the direction that they want to go, with the philosophy that they want to follow, with the style of football that they want to play. And from there, you kind of get into, you know, the the weeds a little bit on this guy versus that guy. But if you trust your scouts, if you trust the philosophy that you put together and everyone is following that, you should be able to make generally the right decision most often. In an imperfect science, though, Lance, I, I don't think that can happen 100% of the time anyway. In fact, you're really good if you do it 40%. So I, I think whatever it is, there's not a whole lot of bickering back and forth. At the same time, there are teams like the Minnesota Vikings. You know that uh, Rick Spielman, the former general manager, and uh, Mike Zimmer, the former head coach, disagreed on a lot of picks. And it was obvious that that was going on just based on how they reacted, uh, comments that were made by Zimmer, they didn't get along and they both got fired. I think for, for Tomlin and Colbert to have coexisted as long as they have, they tend to agree with each other more often than they don't. Yeah, that's why you want standard operating procedures typically and, and processes because you want the process to make the decision very easy for you because in highly pressurized situations, if you don't have a stable process that is kind of making the pick for you, that's exactly. when you can make a mistake. And let me ask this. There's been a lot of discussion, and before I get to my second follow-up, about the new GM. And and John Pennington is sort of alluding to it here. Mm -hmm. Now with the new GM coming in, and if Colbert is still there in some capacity, do you see guys see a problem ahead? I'm not sure that there's a problem ahead. But my question is right now, which would suggest that the GM in waiting is probably in the building already that at this particular point right now, this is when you want that next GM to be involved heavily in the process to be so, so to speak in the foxhole, how involved do you think this new person is going to be in the process in this year's draft? I'm going to answer this generally. And then I'm going to give you what is very likely what's really happening. Generally speaking, you can't ignore the fact the Steelers have not yet hired a general manager. And they don't intend to before the draft. That sends a very clear signal that we are in charge of this team. Kevin Colbert is the guy that's drafting this class. And we are seeing this through based on what he has set forward for us. No general manager will trump that. That's clearly what the, the position that they're representing. And I think that's the right way, right way to go about it. I think that's the smart thing for them to do. Um, that said, what's really happening, and this, this is just me, but there's no way that I could be convinced otherwise. They already know who the general manager is. They must. The, shadow, the shadow general manager can be involved in these conversations. I mean, he might, might be on the payroll. He might not be. These, that's information we don't have access to. Um, they could have the general manager in place and not uh, have announced anything just for the sake of not announcing it. Steelers do things like that a lot. If they don't have to tell you, they're not going to. That's that's just the way they do business. Um, that general manager could be involved to some degree. But once again, uh, I'll go back to this. Kevin Colbert would not have been in his job for over 20 years if he was not good at it and they did not appreciate him. He's retiring. He's not being fired. I think what they want to show is we're not going to announce you as having this job until Kevin steps down. Kevin says he wants to step down after the draft. That's what we're doing. If you're okay with that, we will hire you for the general manager job. 
if you insist on more than that, we're going to go to one of the 19 different people that we interviewed for this <laughs> and find somebody else. All of this is intentional. This wasn't an accident. I think it, it's largely one. I think they wanted to, to shine the spotlight on a lot of candidates that may or may not get looks from other teams because other teams rushed to make their decision. The Steelers were not in a position where they had to do that. So I think they were trying to highlight some people uh, who might not otherwise have gotten looks from anybody else and let other teams know we think enough about this guy to, to let him be interviewed. So hopefully you, you, you look at that in the future. And two, we're in charge. Keep in mind, you know how many, you know how many co uh, assistant coaches Mike Tomlin hired when he was first hired as head coach? Zero. Zero. He was given his staff, okay? I don't see why this would be any different. Certainly not when Colbert is, is right around the corner if they need help with something as if, you know, he, it, 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 as if he's the only guy that knows a password to get into the secret computer or something like that, he's there <laughs> for consultation help. But the idea here is you come in, you learn how we do things and this is how we do it. Every person here has had to do this. Art Rooney learned from Dan Rooney, Mike Tomlin learned from Dick LeBeau from Kevin Colbert. We're the veterans. Now you're the new guy you need to, to follow the same process that we did because that's how we do business here. I think that's more or less what's happening. And the, the new guy is just kind of sit back and watch for a little bit. And we've talked about this a bunch, Lance. I don't think the new general manager is coming in to get carte blanche over Mike Tomlin and his 15 years of experience with this. The, the, it, to me, it's still going to be kind of the same thing, at least kind of the same thing where Tomlin and the general manager have more or less equal say over what's going on and a system built for consensus between the two of them. Uh, so they don't have arguments over what player to draft on draft night. They've solved that problem a year in advance. I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, in most corporate settings, even if you're an highly experienced individual that's being brought in from outside the organization, there still is trade craft and the way that you do business in an organization Although you could be highly experienced and highly qualified, there is a learning curve and a time in which you need to learn how the process is done in the organization that you're going. And good organizations have a good role or a good way of onboarding and getting you acclimated to the new culture so you can fit in. Because, you know, organizations, corporations have a way in which they do things. And the worst thing that happens is when you don't train a new individual to work in the way that the organization works. Because once you integrate that individual, then you trust your process. You trust that you hired the right person. And if they want to make tweaks to the process, it's fine because exactly. you've hired the right person yep. and you've given them the, the, the institutional knowledge of what goes on. Let me jump into my other follow-up question. We talk about buckets and putting players in the buckets. And you were talking about the first round bucket, possibly the 1A bucket, and maybe the 2 bucket. Is there a chance, and what would happen in a scenario at the 20 pick, let's say the Steelers put in, I don't know, how many, first of all, how many players do you anticipate they put in that first round bucket? And is there a possibility that at the 20 pick, those players could no longer be in the 1 or the 1A bucket? You know, in terms of how you explain it, does that mean, according to the process, you're going to start picking from that round two bucket? Um, that's really hard to answer without knowing, um, without being able to solve problem A, which is how many guys they have in what in what right. bucket, which really is more of a question of what positions they're prioritizing uh, versus their what positions they're not prioritizing. To to put it this way. The, the bucket suggestion does not mean they give out that grade for every player in college football. They keep tabs on everybody, draft eligible people, but they need to be interested in the player, which oftentimes comes down to the position that they're playing. Um, right now, as odd as this sounds, I, of course, I forget the kid's name, the, the superstar punter from San Diego State. Uh, he's, he's a high-level guy. There's no doubt that he's a high-level guy. They just drafted a punter last year. They're not scouting punters. So I, I just mean that position alone. Um, there's a guy that's in there that's probably around two pick, in my opinion. 
Um, he, he should be legitimately one of the best punters I've ever seen. He's incredibly good for his age in, in particular. They just drafted a punter last year. They're not going to bother scouting this guy because they're not taking a punter in the second round, which is probably what he's going to be. So he's not somebody who's going to be in a bucket. Outside of that, yes, we can talk all day about what positions we think they should fill. That's not necessarily how they think. We talk, Wes here brought up cornerback. They're going to scout a bunch of cornerbacks. Yeah, probably. Why did they go off and sign three of them this offseason? How many cornerbacks do you think they're going to bring in? They're not going to cut people they just signed. There's a reason they signed them and gave them money. So if anything, we follow those context clues. And what we come up with is the idea that, yeah, that's it, Ariza. What we come up with is the idea that they're looking to fill in certain positions in free agency and certain positions in the draft. If they've put in the legwork <coughs> for cornerbacks, for example, I don't think that the situation with um, Levi Withers Witherspoon and Wallace, the, the cornerbacks that they signed, and Arthur Mollett, the, the one they retained, I think that situation is a bit off the beaten trail. I don't think that they normally keep uh, that keep and sign that many veterans to come in at one position. But let's just say that it's not. That was their plan. If that's the case, that's an indication they aren't looking to, to invest a premium pick in a cornerback. So then those guys are not going to be in the first round bucket. That's not a position that they're looking to emphasize with that level of pick. And the reason that is, is because they just brought in three of them. You want to bring in a first rounder on top of, of Cam Sutton? That's, that's a lot of guys that are paid a lot of money to not play. I mean, that, that, that's just efficiency. Uh, it doesn't mean that there aren't players in their estimation who are worth first round picks. It just means that they're not going to be in the bucket because they're not interested in investing in that position. It's not an accident, Lance. This team has not drafted a tackle in the first round since 1996. They don't prioritize it. Doesn't mean that they weren't available. They weren't in a position to ever draft uh, a legitimate first round tackle. It's just not a position that they want to invest that money into. That's why this is important. It, you're not just looking to take names off a list. You have to have a philosophical and strategic reason to invest in those positions when they're looking to take them. You know what position they take most often in the second round? Cornerback. Cornerback is the position they take the least, the second least often in the first round. They value cornerbacks for what they bring to the team more often in the second round and the third round than they do in the first. That's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It's not a tendency. It's a plan. So it, it's, as far as knowing what player goes into what bucket right now, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It, it's there's just too many variables I could I couldn't guess on. I think just from from talking to a lot of people, reading a lot of information, watching a lot of film, I think there are 20 guys in this draft that a, a team with the need uh, would legitimately feel as a first round pick. I don't think this is a bad draft. I don't think it's a it doesn't have a Trevor Lawrence superstar quarterback. It doesn't have great quarterbacks one through five, but there are a lot of really good non-quarterback players who are going to go in the first 20 picks. So, I, know what this, I know what this draft has, Neil. It has a bunch of players from the University of Georgia. That's what that's it has. It has six, oh, six it, defensive players could go in the first round. I mean, Georgia. they have that's like, a legitimate prediction. I mean, 15, they're probably going to get 15, 20 guys drafted off of that team. That Georgia yep. team is just, just hit. That's absolutely ridiculous. So I think we've answered the question in terms of who will make the pick. And that is going to come from, the three-headed, the holy trinity of Colbert, Tomlin, and Rooney. And you will um, never hear the three of them say it was one of them over another. They they will the buck stops with the three of them. They don't discuss individual stuff like that. And ultimately it doesn't matter because the Steelers are making the pick. The pick is for the Steelers. So it doesn't matter. And the credit doesn't matter in terms of whatever that is. Now we talked about player traits. I just want to dig a little bit into a lot of stuff you hear about the draft, and I think this can give a little insight to the Steelers and how they do it. You hear a lot of metrics, workout numbers, so on and so forth. We've looked at RAS, and, and I, I'm going to put the link to that old video that we did about RAS and, and, and different traits and characteristics that the Steelers look at. You hear a lot of different stuff about teams. Are the Steelers, in your opinion, more of a film team when they're evaluating a player 
Are they they relying more on more on film? Are they a team that looking a lot at personal pro days and workouts? You know, what are they what are they erring on more in terms of when they're evaluating players? Are they a team that goes to the combine, gets fooled by a, a combine wonder? Like uh, what was the guy's name back in the day in Philadelphia? Mike had? Mamula. Mike Mamula. Do are they getting fooled by the Mike Still Mamula guy? About that guy. <laughs> uh, or, 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 or are they a hardcore uh, film team? You know what I'm seeing on film is what I'm going to err on when I'm making an evaluation of a player. Ultimately, I'll say this: I remember, um, not to sour the 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 energetic positive mood we're creating here, Lance, but uh, Steelers fans remember <laughs> the Jarvis Jones selection. Please break RAS down in that when you answer. Jarvis Joe RAS very simply high level uh, uh, description of what RAS is. Jarvis Jones is one of the worst first round picks in NFL history according to RAS. That seems fair. So I like RAS for that reason. Um, at the same time, though, there is no magic stat. There is no magic form. Uh, uh, one variable formula that decides. Uh, how any team makes a pick there might be one decision that gets made but that decision is not made based solely on one thing and one thing alone okay uh al davis god rest his soul is dead so owners for the most part are not jumping in to mandate a team draft this player or that player what ends up happening is you combine something like ras okay it used to be spark this is the reason i bring up jarvis jones Spark stood for something I don't remember, but think of RAS and Spark both as quantitative uh, athletic measurements. So you combine a bunch of stuff uh, together to get a certain score that shows the overall athletic uh, um, viability of a prospect. Spark was something that was catered to the Seattle Seahawks. And there were very, very smart people who basically reverse engineered uh, the numbers that they got and put it into weights based on how the Seahawks tended to draft. And from there made something a bit more uniform um, out of their own. Jarvis Jones ranked very, very poorly in that. The Steelers drafted him for whatever reason. Now, everyone say it with me. If you remember what Tomlin and Colbert preached all offseason after they drafted Jarvis Jones, what was it? He showed it on film. It was production. His 17 sacks uh, uh, you know, weren't for nothing in the SEC. SEC Defensive Player of the Year. He has all the attributes. There is absolutely nothing about Jarvis Jones that you should have looked at and said, this guy is a first-round player. He is one of the least explosive edge players we've seen taken in the first round. And it, it, was, it was, honestly, the worst pick that Colbert has ever made, by far. It's not even close. The next year, you know who they took? Lance, you remember 2014, 15 overall. Who'd they take? Somebody shout it out. They took uh, um, number 50. I... Yes, Shazier. Ryan Shazier. You know what Ryan Shazier was? The exact opposite of Jarvis Jones. Ryan Shazier might have been a, a little bit lighter on production during college, but he was as twitched up a player, I think, as the Steelers have ever drafted. Maybe the most athletic Steeler, player the Steelers have ever drafted. An absolute athletic freak and we saw that on the field that it was a guy i remember i i scouted him initially in 2014 he was one of the first guys i looked at and i was just like oh my god this guy is alive i mean it was patrick willis without the size he's a skinny dude he was longer but my god could he run sideline to sideline nightmare and i said the steelers should take this guy and everyone screamed at me oh we just signed lawrence timmons they don't need an inside linebacker like, this guy isn't everything, linebacker. He's way too fast for everything. And then everybody thought he was going to be an edge rusher. It's like, no, you, you put this dude in the middle. They're going to play Tampa, too, with a guy like this. He's that good. And they ended up taking him. His spark score was one of the highest it was ever recorded. A phenomenal athlete. What do they do in 2015? Who do they take in 2015 out of Kentucky? Bud Dupree. Bud Dupree. Also one of the best spark athletes ever recorded. This is not a coincidence. After 2013, Jarvis Jones was an utter failure when it comes to NFL football because he's not athletic enough. He couldn't do anything. God bless Jarvis Jones. He was a great guy. 
He worked his butt off. Everything about it was true. It's just he he couldn't play against that level of competition. The guys he's going against just all have athletic uh, advantages over him. And you can't have an edge player like that. And he burned out. He didn't do anything, really, as a pro. He was he was completely average. Bud Dupree was also the exact opposite of Jarvis Jones. He was an Olympian. I mean, Bud Dupree is one of the most athletic guys in the NFL. And for, for like, per pound, if for him, a dude his size, he's a big outside linebacker, his size running faster than most wide receivers, just unheard of. He's an otherworld guy. He fell to 24 because, honestly, I don't think he knew the difference between a football and a volleyball when he first started playing. But, my God, was he an exceptional athlete. It's My point in all of this is that it's obvious the Steelers had a philosophical shift after 2013, starting in 2014. And from then, 2014 on, and this includes Artie Burns, it includes Terrell Edmonds, all these guys that everybody was baffled with because they think that they suck. They were all athletic marvels to some degree for their position. I think Burns was probably the worst, relatively speaking, but Burns was a big cornerback. 6'1", 205, something like that when he was drafted. And he was a good athlete. Keep that in mind. He ran high hurdles at Miami, okay? You can't be slow or athletic to, to do that, plain and simple. Um, Terrell Edmonds, not great tape. He was all-conference honorable mention as, as a senior in the ACC. Not typically a guy you draft first round. Exceptional athlete, okay? T.J. Watt. We all love T.J. Watt now, right? We know that. T.J. Watt was a sensational athlete who didn't have great film. They weren't sure on him. That's why he fell to 30. He's obviously not. At that point, they, I don't think anybody, well, except for the complete biased Steelers fan, nobody could have expected him to be a defensive player of the year, but they wouldn't have been surprised by it either. He's that good of an athlete. He had the bloodlines, but he went 30 for a reason. The Steelers shifted into more of a, a, a formulaic approach. That doesn't say they cut film out. You got to be able to play to some degree, but when they're drafting late, they erred on the side of athleticism more than anything else. That's Terrell Edmonds. That was Artie Burns. That was TJ Watt. Some work out a little bit better than others, but that, that's a pretty good range of what happens when you draft 25 to 32. You aren't sure of what's going to happen with these guys. So they decided to just start taking the freak athletes. And I, I think you're seeing that more and more from them, whereas they didn't do it before. Guys, if you saw on the chat, the website for RAS relative athletic scores, ras.football. Take a look. It's great. They have a ton of information in there. And let me just give you an example of just how athletic the Edmonds family is overall. Mm -hmm. Terrell Edmonds, 9.89. Now, this is out of 10. The all-time RAS score for a set strong safety is 9.9. Tremaine Edmonds, RAS 9.74. And Trey Edmonds, 9.43. They might be the most athletic family in the National Football there, League. There's a reason those two of them were drafted in the first round, and the third, a running back who didn't really do anything, is still playing in the NFL. Let me ask you real quick, since we talked about Terrell Edmonds, before I jump into a couple more questions about the lifting the veil on the process of the Steelers process of drafting. What's going on with Edmonds? What's, what's your thought? True or false? It's tough. Edm um, Edmonds will be a Steeler next year. Hey, True we, or false? We, sa we said this last year, Lance. We said this. I think Terrell Edmonds gave them the hardest decision to make on a first-round option that they've ever had. The hardest decision to make. It was the perfectly placed amount where you just don't know which way they're going to go. They went against I, where I sit right now, I would say true. I think, you know, Tyron Matthew is the market setter at safety now. Edmonds is probably waiting on Matthew, and Matthew maybe is waiting on Edmonds too. There are only so many teams that are going to sign a veteran to a, a multi-million dollar, multi-year deal. Uh, Edmonds, or excuse me, Matthew is going to be the top of that. I think the Steelers, for obvious reasons, should be interested in Matthew. Depends on the price, but there's nothing wrong with them being interested. I think Edmonds is a player they'd like to have back, and I think that they wanted him back last year. I think that committing $6.5 million on a one-year deal was not in their best interest in an offseason where they had to sign five or six starters and end up maybe having to pay Minka 
something around what they paid Watt last year. They weren't going to be able to afford it necessarily. Now, can you carve out a multi-year deal to make it worth their time? That's the question. I think Edmonds is a, a great fit for what they do. I think he's gotten a lot better. I think they've, they've done a great job coaching him, and they're very familiar with him. They could get him to a four-year deal. I think the valuation of that, it's tough. It's really tough. And that that's the thing. If they turn down 6.5, understandably, they're not going to give him um, what would that be? 26 over four years. Exactly. So yeah. you, you'd think, what, 23? Would they do that? Maybe. On a multi-year deal, I think the Steelers would be interested in that. If Edmonds feels out his market and sees that that is plus or minus a million or two bucks, his best option, he'll take it. I don't think he has any reason to sign elsewhere for the same money. He's got a starting job in Pittsburgh. His now defensive coordinator oversaw his entire development. He has every reason to want to come back. It's a question of money, and I don't blame him for that. We also don't need to, to watch them strap on the pads to play live, real football until September. They don't need to do anything right now. Wait till the draft and see what happens. But Matthew, I think, is, is the key linchpin in all of this. I don't think the Steelers are not interested. If, Matthew's, if, if Matthew comes and says to them, yeah, I'll play for $5.5 if Edmonds won't, I think they'd sign Matthew. That's just me, my opinion. I hope that they would, but I think Edmonds is a very good player. I think he would be a great fit for them. Um, I don't think Matthew's going to go there. Uh, just call it a hunch. I think he should. I think he's the type that would want to play for this kind of team. I don't think the dollars are going to be right, though. I think they, they have five or so million per uh, earmarked for Edmonds on a multi-year deal. Yeah, I don't like Matthew. Do not hit for him as a player. I don't like the age um, and – like you said, trying to figure out, you know, you're going to pay Minka, you know, you're going to extend Minka and, and trying to figure out what are your cap costs and your cap controls around the safety position when you know that Matthew is going to be a top of the market player. And I believe he's plus 30. I think those two things make it highly unlikely yep. that Matthew is the player. I think Edmonds will eventually be the guy. Because, like you said, you've trained Edmonds. You absolutely know what he is. And when you look at the safety position, it's like a battery in baseball, pitcher and catcher. Yep. They, it, it, it's you know, it's symbiotic. Those guys, Minka and Edmonds, have played very good football the last two years, and his athleticism allows them to do a ton of different stuff coverage-wise. He's a box player. He can cover backs. He can cover tight ends. You've even seen him running with wide receivers down the seams uh -huh. because the guy is probably the best athlete at the safety position in football. I mean, great athlete. And they ask him to do athletic things. You know, that, that's and, the key. Keep in mind, the more stuff he is able to cover, cover underneath. And I understand that people bag on his coverage ability. Not as simple as that. There are a lot of things that go into it, but also Minka plays back. He's at his best. Minka is not Troy Polamalu. Okay. Minka is Ed Reed. You want Minka playing 13 yards off the ball, making plays and shutting off the, the deep angles to, to close out big plays. That's when the Steelers are at their best. Edmonds doesn't get a whole lot of playmaking opportunities. He hasn't converted a whole lot of playmaking opportunities, but he is a, a solid all-around defender that you can help build around. And that is your, your back end of, of your defense. That's kind of becoming your combo middle linebacker in today's NFL. And I think the Steelers know that that's why they promoted Austin to, to take over the defense. He's a secondary coach. They're loading up on defensive backs. I think Edmonds comes in and, and fits like a glove into the defense he's played in. And if they stay healthy for once, that defense is going to be one of the three best units in the league. And I like, I like Wes's comment. We don't need him to be elite. We need him to be consistent. And I think he is consistent. And the last yeah. thing in, in the discussion about Edmonds is he's durable. The guy plays. Yep. He does not get hurt. He plays 900-plus snaps every single season. He's available. He's professional. And he does his job. And I think he's a very solid player. I don't think he's elite at the position, but I think he's much better than average. I think yeah. he is a very good, solid football player. Guy that you took 28th overall and has, has dealt with nothing but shit from fans over four seasons, uh, to see him playing the way that he is, you're pretty happy with, with that investment right now. You should be, for sure. And they've been very good in coverage during the time that he's played there, ironically. Mm -hmm. You talked about context clues earlier, and that's one thing that always interests me. And let, let's take a look at the Steelers. 
In terms of context clues, you talked about looking at context clues to try to figure out who the Steelers may draft, what their needs are, what direction they may go in the draft. What are the best context clues do you think fans should look at? We see meetings. Uh, we, we hear reports about dinners. We hear reports about, you know, seven Steeler guys showed up to Kenny Pickett's workout. Seven guys went to see Malik Willis. They didn't go see a player, so on and so forth. What are the context clues? Is it true to say that if you're going to be a first-round draft pick for the Steelers, Mike Tomlin, Colbert went to see your pro day? What are kind of context clues that fans should look for as they try to predict who's going to be, namely the Steelers' first-round draft pick, but even more so, what direction are they leaning? I think top to bottom, the, the most obvious is kind of a combination of the, the – um, not the size of the school, but the power five placement of a school. Absolutely. Ohio and, State. Ding. Yes. <laughs> and with that, a pro day. Now, let's add in, and we've talked about this at length. Mike Tomlin loves pro days. He loves that life. He loves doing it. They cover a lot of ground, I think, largely because of that. It, he enjoys it. But this was one year they didn't get to Ohio State. And I, I bet – in Kevin Colbert's career, you can count on one hand the amount of Ohio State pro days that that um, he has missed. And in, in Tomlin's career, same thing that he's missed. Uh, that said, they go to pro days to look at first round guys. We've seen that throughout their, their history, certainly recently. Um, however, I will cut into that a little bit and say this. The biggest context clue um, and it's not even necessarily a round indication right away. Look at the groups of position guys that they've, they've talked to, met with, whatever the media reports on that are. You'll see positions that they are more serious about than others when they have five, six of them lined up. Quarterback is one of them. They've met with the top six quarterbacks by most people's evaluation that's strongly indicative that they're looking at investing in a quarterback. If they only look at two tight ends, it's probably because they're not interested in the tight end, which they're probably not going to not certainly in, in a high round. Um, they might pick up your, your, you know, more blocker type of guy um, later on. Somebody might, you know, be sort of a combo uh, fullback tight end type of guy. Um, Pat Fryermuth is clearly their, their three down tight end and that that's their investment. So they're not looking at many tight ends makes sense. Right. But if you only talk to say two of them, one, none, probably not a position you're all that interested in. So for me, the context clue is not necessarily, we can break it down, but first and foremost, it's when they have several players at one position um, lined up for, for meetings, specific meetings, taking them out to dinner, things like that. To me, that's a position they're trying to evaluate for a high pick. And the reason I say that is because when you're trying to determine the value of the class, you want to get to know the high and the low. That's how you determine how good everybody else is. You need comparisons from one to the other. So if they go out and meet all these people on a character level, they know how to grade each and every one of them. That makes the, the one who they grade, I don't know, the best, if you can say that for character, um, it, you have something to back that up with because you know who the worst one was. And the levels in between that all become a little bit more clear. I think quarterback is, is a position that they are serious about looking at in round one. Obviously, it depends, well, especially with the quarterback position. For all we know, six of them might go in the top 12. I mean, it's you need quarterbacks in the NFL. It's why Mitch Trubisky is the Steelers quarterback right now. They don't have one. So <clears throat> it makes perfect sense that that's what they're doing, and that's what they're evaluating. They're looking at guys that – uh, could go anywhere from round one, probably to round three or four, you know, and, and with that, they'll determine what they need on draft day. But the, the clues in, as far as who they're visiting with, I think really is more based on the position, uh, which goes to show really to summarize a lot of what I've said on this show already, they're evaluating positions more so than names. They're looking to add positions um, first and foremost, then it's the names. They need to want the position right now for the next three years. It needs to make sense for them financially to build this because this guy's going to be gone next year. 
it, it's all indicative of them having a long-term plan for what they're trying to do to win football games. And I'm for glad. me, somebody asked me earlier what I would take in, in round one. Best player, it, what seems to be reasonably likely to be available at 20, I, Chris Olavi of Ohio State is the guy that I would take, but they didn't go to his pro day, which is really upsetting. I'm not sure if they see the same thing that I do in him. Justin Jefferson type of guy. You can get him 130 targets as a rookie, and he's going to play for you. Uh, he'd be a phenomenal pick for the Steelers at 20. I don't think he should be taken 20th, but nobody else seems to see this as well. Uh, he's, he's an excellent player. He's really good top to bottom. Um, he might be there at 20. He shouldn't be, but it seems like there are really good receivers that fall to the bottom third of the draft every year now for some reason. For me, I'm all in on quarterback at round one, and we'll get to that in, a, in, that too. in a different show. We'll get to that. I'm all in on quarterback round one. Pick the one you think is the good one. Let's get on to trying to develop that player moving forward. Another thing I want to jump into before we get out of here, because you said the word need, and a lot of times in this process, and we've talked about it, and quickly just talk about this, because you hear the term best player available too often, and I think it's highly misconstrued. <laughs> and indeed, I, I love the way – there's a juxtaposition between best player available and need. Typically what you don't hear by pundits in the media is you're going to draft the best player available that fits a specific team need. Just kind of dispel that myth in terms of best player available and how it's often, in my opinion, misused by the media. The best player available concept it is pretty simple. The problem is who's defining that and for what? Joe Jack on Twitter saying that this is the best player available. Okay, to you, fine. <laughs> Joe it, it, this goes back to the point that I made earlier. They don't draft for the NFL. They don't draft based on other draft picks. They draft for their team for their philosophy, and for what they need. So their best player available, to be honest, probably isn't yours after the first 10, 15 picks. You don't know. You're not taking into to consider. Joe Jack is not taking into consideration team need. He does not know what their philosophy is. He doesn't know what's changing. He doesn't know what they think of this position a year from now as far as contracts go. You don't know who's going to hold out. You might have to bolster depth at a position because you know this guy's going to go. Or you don't want this guy there anymore, and this guy's going to take over. That creates a different set of uh, uh, characteristics of what would define best player available. There's one guy in particular who does this all the time. He speaks as if uh, – we'll, we'll call him Joe Jack, okay? Joe Jack speaks as if everything he sees is factual and incontrovertible. There is only one answer to anything. It's it, it's indication number one that you have no idea what you're talking about. That's just simply not how things work, okay? There are a billion variables that have nothing to do with the player in question that come into the draft. Most of it surrounds how they plan to address, how they plan to move on, what they plan to do in a year, all of these things that we don't know. There's no way we could know that. So... As far as best player available as a concept, you don't know whether they did or they didn't. It's that simple. But I would suggest, logically, these guys get paid millions upon millions of dollars. I don't think that they're taking somebody who they consider to be the sixth best player available at that given moment. You know, I, I think it's they're pretty close to the top every round that they draft. So to be honest with you, it's more likely that every round could be argued for every team and every player, they took the best player available versus, no, we just randomly took this guy because, you know, he ran a, a, a high 40 at the combine. They knew who everybody was, especially now, not in Mike Mula's day, but now they know everything about all of those guys athletically leading into it. The combine is an opportunity for them to dispel issues with injury. It's to meet with them and find out whether they're an asshole or not and to get a sense of where they are uh, physically as far as their conditioning goes. You remember Vontez Perfect, right? Vontez Perfect yes. had round one talent. He wasn't drafted 
not just because he's a complete and total asshole, and he was like that in college as well. It's he showed up at the combine fat and out of shape. Nobody wanted him because it's like, I'm not going to waste my time. This guy didn't even get in shape for this. He ran a, 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 a plus 540. Like, he's not in <laughs> NFL shape. I'm not going to waste my time on him. That's really more effective for the combine versus this guy ran a 438. Therefore, he's better than the guy that ran the 442. It's not, you don't break it down that closely. Yet, Joe Jack does. And they get the concept of best player available completely wrong because of that. You don't know enough about what a team is doing and you're not drafting for the NFL. Okay. You don't know about what a team is doing enough to say they should do this or they should not do this. Really quick, break it down real fast at a pro day. When Tomlin is going to Malik Willis's pro day, what are they specifically looking at? Or is this a chance just to meet the guy to get to get a feel of what the guy is like? Cause I'm sure they've done a ton of film study on the guy. That's why they've gone. My I'm opinion. Sh- I'm sure they have medical information as well. It's what are that, they doing at that pro day? It, it's you get a chance to talk to the trainers. You get a chance to talk to the coaches. Mike Tomlin will walk the rope line like he's the president. He talks to everybody, you know. And on top of that, let's keep in mind, regardless of whether this is the guy you app, you're on the fence about, you're really not sure about this one particular guy. They're watching other guys. There are other guys who are there. The you know you know who helps out with the drills and stuff. The underclassmen, you get a chance to take a look at them. You know, there, there's a lot of things that they look at. That's why they sent five or six guys. So you put all of that together. There's a ton of information that they're getting. And this is how they keep files on everybody year in and year out to the point where showing up at their pro day, unless, you know, all of a sudden the guy's running a five, three and he's fat, and he's not in shape. You know who the guy is, but you'd love the opportunity to sit down with him without anybody else around and really pick his brain. You're looking for those opportunities, you know, not to trivialize the whole process, um, especially because I can't say Zach Wilson did not make himself the second pick in the draft because of one throw at his pro day. Off not platform. everybody is in a position to raise their stock like that. Yeah, it, was, quarterbacks, it, was off, it was off platform, too. Yeah, it was a great throw. Absolutely a great throw. <laughs> is that enough to draft the guy number two? No. No, <laughs> my opinion, it, it Justin Fields should have been their guy, and they're going to pay for that mistake sooner rather than later. Keep in mind, I'm a huge Trey Lance fan. Fields should have gone to the Jets. Jets should have taken Fields. They would have had a better team last year. They wouldn't have had the issues that they've had. Um, anyway, point is, you get to look at a lot more things than just a dude throwing in spandex against air to a future draft pick down the field. You know, there, there are other things to look at. Before we get out of here, let's jump into a couple of questions. Ollie Howard Species 5618 asks, how would you rank Mitch and Mason if they were coming out of this draft? And I guess that's from Dave U. Big up to Dave U. <laughs> I, don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm able to provide an unbiased opinion of Mitch Trubisky anymore. Um, Trubisky was a good example of a guy who was light on – uh, tape, you know, they played, you know, they started one year and had a pretty good pro day and has pretty good measurements. I th- that number two pick, you know, it, it's such a weird one as far as quarterbacks are concerned. Um, somebody keep me honest, more often than not, the number two pick, the number two pick who was a quarterback in the last several drafts has not fared particularly well. I know Carson Wentz is one of them, sadly enough, as that is. Um, Trubisky is the other one that I would think of who I don't care what Steelers fans say. He's not good. Um, he, he might complete 20 of 34 for 200 yards and a touchdown and a pick. He's not a good quarterback. Okay. It's just, it's that, it's that simple, but it, it's the position where it seems like the riskiest quarterback it's taken. Trubisky's film, in my opinion, when I saw him wasn't great. I didn't see a great player. I didn't see a, a, a smart player. I didn't see great physical skills. I saw a pretty thick, it, uh, biting my tongue on this, I saw a pretty thick guy who could give you what I call now a Baker Mayfield run, which is six yards diagonal to the sideline, outrunning a defense on third and five. That's a nice thing to have. It doesn't make him a quote-unquote mobile quarterback, okay? Lamar Jackson is a mobile quarterback. Mitch Trubisky and Baker Mayfield are nowhere close to that level of mobility. That's what a mobile quarterback is nowadays. Because he can run does not mean 
it's a weapon. It's a thing that he does. It's not a, a real part of his game. It's an outlet. And Trubisky is going to use it too often, and eventually he's going to get dialed up by a safety. I would have said the same thing about him coming into the league. I don't remember exactly what I did. He, he wasn't very good, in my opinion. I, I wouldn't have taken him in, in certainly not the first round. Um, Rudolph, I think, might have been a little bit different. I, you know, the, the, the famous part of, of Mason Rudolph is how Kevin Colbert proudly exclaimed that they had a first-round grade on him. First round grade on him, and you passed on him in first and second round. So yes, exactly. uh, you needed another pick to take Mason Rudolph. In fact, that was the pick that they got for fleecing the Raiders out of of uh, Martavis Bryant. Um, it, you know, it's debatable whether they would have taken Rudolph if they only had one pick. We don't know. Uh, who knows what would have happened? So, um, it, Rudolph, I think, probably would fit into the sixth quarterback of a five quarterback draft. I think Trubisky was just a guy that looked everything like a quarterback should, except for his play on the field. And I think Trubisky is still at that point um, to the point now where everything I just said about him not being mobile, that's his only asset. He can't throw. He doesn't see the field particularly well. And when I say he can't throw, I don't mean he can't throw the ball with some velocity. I mean, He's not particularly accurate, and he doesn't throw to open guys in a, a fast manner. It takes him too long to identify where the ball needs to go. That's the yeah. number one problem with a quarterback. Yeah. If he's, he's not good, skinny. I guarantee you that's one of the problems that he has. Yeah, he isn't skinny. good. Yeah, I, you can't train that either. It doesn't just come to you after six years in the NFL or however long he's been there. I don't in, – in this year's class, you could probably – it's – this is a trap question because – veteran quarterbacks are not rookie quarterbacks. Veteran quarterbacks don't have potential anymore. Okay. Canada's offense is not saving Mitch Trubisky. You know what you're getting out of Mitch Trubisky quarter. When Mitch Trubisky was uh, going into the draft, you thought you could build him. There are things that you could do to make him better. I can see why they might've wanted to invest it, but more of that, is based on the fact that they did not have a quarterback. They signed Mike Glennon that year, if you might remember. The Bears did. Right. And Mike Glennon was then what Mitch Trubisky is now, a veteran option that you don't want to have to sign, but you do. So when you're looking at a rookie, you're going to talk yourself into that player more simply because you need to have one. You have to develop a rookie because the veteran's developed. He is who he is, and you know who he is. Uh, because of that, I'm, I'm trying to place their potential into this class. And they're probably around the same level um, as like a Ritter would be, um, except both of them are, are not as smart as Ritter. I think Ritter is a better prospect than both of them. Maybe that's the better way to put it. I think Pickett is a better prospect than both of them were in their particular years. That's just me. There are obviously a lot of people that thought much higher of Mitch Trubisky than I did, but I, I've never really thought a whole lot of him. And I think Pickett will be okay. I think Ritter will be okay. I think you answered this already, and Wes asked the question again. Uh, who do you want in round one? I think you said Olave, and I said Olave Ritter. would be. I I don't know. I mean, who do I want in round one? Aiden Hutchinson. You know, I that's who I want. It's <laughs> it's not a question of who I want. It's a question of who's going to be available uh, for the Steelers to take. I they need a receiver. I yelled about this last year. They didn't they listen to me then. Do. I don't know why they think they're going to listen to me now. They need a receiver. Absolutely. Okay? They need a couple. They're really bad now. They were not good last year, contrary to everybody who absolutely worships the ground Juju Smith-Schuster walks on. They don't even have him now. Okay, They, they have the worst. fell apart. They, 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 have, they have a terrible receiving group. They, they need have the worst. Uh, they have the worst running back room and yeah. wide receiver room yep. probably exactly, in the National exactly Football right. League. You are exactly right. They lack skill players. Another yes. reason Mitch Trubisky is going to fail. Do you think he's going to make those the – I'm biting my tongue again. I don't want to say naughty things. My kid's outside the room. But their their receivers are not good. And, yeah, they have no depth at running back. They don't have any skill players. They don't have guys – they don't have dudes. They don't have guys that can make plays. My opinion, first three rounds should be dudes. Skill guys that can play. Um, whether they get that or not, I don't know. But the, the reality is – I'd argue with this as well. And Jeffrey, thanks for signing in, man. We appreciate it. What's up, Jeff? I, maybe, up, maybe Jeffrey? not. My but God. the reality is, it, go back to, to 2018 when Juju was at his best. It's because he was being covered by linebackers because half the NFL was covering Antonio Brown 
on a per snap basis. Yes. Brown was that good that year. That's why he was pissed he, he was, didn't win uh, MVP. He was carrying three guys all over the field. Juju, yeah, the was. play against Detroit that he made, the big one that set up the game-winning field goal against that sorry sack of a team. That's how bad that 2017 team was, despite their record. Just not a, a competitive, good team. Juju went for 80 yards because a linebacker was covering him out of the slot. They stretched him out because everybody went to Brown. Juju is, I, I said this last year, he's a good player. He's not a great one. To be honest, now he has the contract he probably should have had. This is the kind of, you know, three and a half million with incentives up to 10 and a half million. That's the kind of player that he is. And I, I mean that with all due respect to him. There's just way too much emotion and personal nature things that get into Juju, which is really Juju versus a radio host. Just the stupidest thing in the world for everybody involved. You look at him objectively. He's okay. He's good. He's not a great receiver. He's not a game-changing receiver. Um, I think a guy like Olave is is like that. I, Me personally, I don't think he should be anywhere near 20. I think he's a top 14 guy. Uh, I just see way too many that, that don't seem to think of him all that highly. Um, if he's there at 20, they should run to the podium and take him. I'm, I don't think there's going to be a better player on the board than him at that point. Beyond him, though, I don't know. It depends on who's there. I like Ritter. I think Ritter is a solid player. If I were to bet right now, I'm pretty close to leaning to him because I think he's the best combination of what they need, where he is as a player, and likelihood of being available at 20. But what that means is pick 19 is open for business. If anybody below the Steelers wants Desmond Ritter, they're going to trade up to 19 and take him. That wouldn't surprise me either. Yeah, this is going to be a pretty interesting draft. I think this was a great discussion today and hopefully in the discussion we pulled back a little bit of the veil in terms of the Steelers of the draft process because I think there's a lot of misinformation that exists when it comes to the draft how teams do it and how teams process it but with that I want to thank everybody for hopping on to the live chat make sure you go out and get your Easter eggs make sure you celebrate Passover Neil make sure you treat the wife especially well today on her fantastic birthday. Make sure you guys get a great steak, some great dinner, something like that. And congratulations on you for being in the new Palatial Palace. Um, is it Paisley Park? Is that what we're going to call it? <laughs> Not too far from there, though. I'm waiting for you to, to, to come out here and visit. I'll, I'll give you a tour. Please take a picture of Paisley Park and uh, you know send me a picture of how it looks from a distance. If you drive cool. past it, it's pretty cool. And, uh, it stands out it, it, in a weird way. It's not the same now, but it used to be kind of in the middle of nothing. Um, suburban sprawl has gone out that direction that there's a bunch of commercial stuff around it now. But it used to be just kind of there. It's this big, white, kind of angular building in the middle of nowhere. It was really cool. Anytime I can say Lake Minnetonka, <laughs> it's, it's always a good thing. It is always a good thing when I can say Lake Minnetonka. Makes my hearing day. that in college, I absolutely died. That was the <laughs> coolest thing in the world. It's like, and, oh, wow. And we're going to get out of here. Thank you, everybody, for hopping in. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe.